Well, today we are continuing our series that we have been working through, looking at the Apostles' Creed, and we get to part four today. This creed, as we've said before, is a summary of the Apostles' teaching, the early followers of Jesus, uh, and very much a summation of some of the key truths in Scripture. And uh, as we are going through, we're taking time to declare it together each week. This is a declaration that's been made across the centuries and around the world. And it is things that Christians everywhere throughout time can agree on. And, and what I really love that, as we're doing this is that we are making that declaration that we are united. Yes, there are many things that we kind of can agree or disagree on, kind of in different ways of church style and things, but these are key components of our Christian faith. So we're going to declare that again together now, and as we do, we're declaring afresh that we believe in this amazing God who we've been worshipping, and we are rejecting the narratives of the world that come our way constantly in all sorts of things. So if you're able to, can you stand and we're going to declare this creed together before we look at a particular chunk of it. So I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died and was buried. He descended to the dead. On the third day he rose again, He ascended into heaven. He is seated at the right hand of the Father, and he will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. So, so far in this series, we have uh, gone through three different sections. We started by looking at that opening sentence, I believe in God the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth, the first person of the Trinity, God the Father, creator of all things, the Almighty One. And then we moved on to consider the second person of the Trinity, Jesus Christ, Jesus, Saviour, Christ, ruler, God's only Son, who came, was born in the Virgin Mary, conceived by the Holy Spirit, God incarnate, fully God, fully man. Last week, we considered that he suffered, died and rose again, the centrality of the gospel, of what he came and why he came to do it for us, that we would know freedom. And today is very much continuing a message of hope, to fill us with hope, as we consider the next section still on the person of Jesus. He ascended into heaven. He is seated at the right hand of the Father, and he will come to judge the living and the dead. And the Nicene Creed, which is another declaration of faith we've been referring to as we go through, often is a lot fuller. It was written somewhat later than the Apostles' Creed to expand on some of the things that people were still confused on. But this chunk is very similar, as you'll see there, It's only in the second part we get, he will come again in glory to judge the living and the dead and his kingdom will have no end. So very similar statements made in both the Apostles and the Nicene Creed. And we're going to look at it in in two chunks today. Uh, We're going to look, first of all, he ascended into heaven, he is seated at the right hand of the Father 
and he will come to judge the living and the dead. So this first part, uh, we've got the past and the present. He ascended and he seated. Jesus, God's only son. He came and he lived as fully man while remaining fully God. He grew up, he walked, he talked, he ate, he did jobs, he was a carpenter. He, he, he moved into his ministry and, and went around teaching and healing and doing incredible miracles. And as we heard last week, he suffered, he died, and he rose again. So he's not physically on earth anymore. Why not? What happened? Well, he ascended. He ascended into heaven, as that statement in the creed says. And uh, Luke the, the writer of two books in the Bible, the Gospel of Luke, surprisingly enough, was written by Luke, and the Book of Acts. Now, I don't know whether you've grasped that before, but these two books are both written by Luke, and they're like two parts, Jesus' life and what happened afterwards. And Luke ends his Gospel talking about the ascension, and he begins the Book of Acts starting about it. So I just want us to read those together to see what Luke had to say about this ascension. So it's very short, in two verses, Luke 24, the end of this, of his gospel says, When he had led them out to the vicinity of Bethany, he lifted up his hands and blessed them. While he was blessing them, he left them and was taken up into heaven. So he ends the gospel by saying Jesus was taken up to heaven. Not a lot of information. While he was blessing the disciples, he was taken up into heaven. We get a bit more information if we turn to the beginning of his second book, Acts. And uh, we're going to look there at the first 11 verses, Acts 1. In my former book, so talking about Luke, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and to teach until the day he was taken up to heaven after giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen. After his suffering, he presented himself to them and gave them many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. On one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command, Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Then they gathered round him and asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, it is not for you to know the times or dates the Father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. After this, after he had said this, he was taken up before their very eyes, and a cloud hid him. From their sight, the cloud of glory, a very symbol of God's presence. We get talked about in the Old Testament, this, this cloud descending. So the cloud hid Jesus from their sight. They were looking intently up into the sky as he was going, when suddenly two men dressed in white stood beside them. Men of Galilee, they said, why do you stand here looking into the sky? This same Jesus, who has been taken from you into heaven, will come back in the same way you have seen him go into heaven. So the ascension means going up. We talk about ascending and descending. Jesus ascended. He went into heaven, back to heaven where he'd come from. This time as God incarnate. 
There is now a man in heaven. Why is this so important? Why is this so important that the ascension happened? Andrew Wilson puts it like this. If you take the ascension out of Christianity, you really don't have any Christianity. Ascension is essential. And yet it's something we often skim over. We talk about Jesus' death and resurrection, and rightly so, but we often skip over this point of Jesus ascending and ascending into heaven. So why was it so important? Well, I think to grasp something of the importance, we need to look back to the Old Testament and to Psalms and look at what it says about ascending. Psalm 24, verses 3 and 4 say this. Who may ascend the mountain of the Lord? Who may stand in his holy place? The one who has clean hands and a pure heart, who does not trust in an idol or swear by a false god. (coughs) Who may ascend the mountain of the Lord? Who may come into his very presence? The one who has clean hands and a pure heart. You know, the mountain of the Lord was, was... where the Jews would go to meet with their, with their God. A place to be in his presence. And it points to heaven. It points to God's eternal dwelling. But right here we have a problem. Have you seen it? Right there in the psalm we have a problem. Look at the requirements. Who can ascend? Who can come into God's presence? Those with pure heart. Those with clean hands. I'm disqualified and I'm the preacher. I would imagine we would all look at it and the sober judgment would say, none of us have clean hands and a pure heart. We've got a problem. Who can ascend? Not one of us. You know, the priests, when they went into the temple when they went into the the Holy of Holies, they couldn't do it very often. It was a very rare occasion because they were sinful too. And and they could only enter on very special occasions and only when incredible amounts of ritual, especially the sacrifices, had happened. They were able to enter into God's presence. They were able to ascend that hill, if you like, after sacrifice had been made. But... uh, But the Bible's very clear that that never really worked. It was a pointing towards the one true sacrifice, Jesus. Jesus paid the sacrifice once and for all. He is the man in Psalm 24 who can ascend the hill of the Lord. He has gone through the curtain. He has ascended into heaven and he can stand there because he is pure-hearted and had clean hands. He has gone. He is our great high priest. He has gone there. He has made the sacrifice. That's what's happened. When we say that Jesus ascended into heaven, he went there fully God, but fully man as our high priest. He has gone through. He has done what none of us could do. So what's he doing now? That's happened That's in the past, he ascended. But what's he doing now? Well, the Bible's very clear, and the creed declares it. He is now seated. He's seated at the right hand of the Father. 
What do you do when you're sat down? You do all sorts of things. Maybe you work. Maybe you're watching TV. Maybe you check your emails or your messages. Maybe you eat or you chat or you play games, you knit, you draw, you read, you sleep. We do all sorts of things when we're sat down, don't we? And part of it, I guess, depends where we're seated. You know, maybe if you're sat at home, you're more likely perhaps to be relaxing or eating. Hopefully when you're at work, you're not necessarily doing so much of that. What are you doing when you're sat in church? Well, at the moment, hopefully you're listening to me. Or if you're sat on the bus or the train. It depends partly where we're seated, what we're doing. But where is Jesus sat? Where is Jesus sat? What does that mean? And what is he doing? We had it there right in the Apostles' Creed and in the Bible. He is seated at the right hand of God. The right hand of God. That speaks of Christ's glory. To sit at the right hand was the highest mark of honour that a king could give someone. Come and sit at my right hand would be declaring you are important. You are up there. There is no one in comparison. So when Jesus is seated, when it talks of Jesus seated at the right hand of God, it's saying there is no one higher. His glory. But also it speaks of his authority. You know, the right, your right hand is normally stronger than your left. It's not true in my case, as I'm left-handed. But many people, the right hand is stronger than the left. And so to say the right hand was saying, you are the strongest position, all-powerful, the favoured one. So Jesus is seated, not just anywhere, he's seated on a throne at the right hand of the Father, full of glory, full of authority. He's not dashing around there. He's not wandering. He's not, he's not standing. He's seated. Our great high priest is sat down. You know, the human high priest, when they went into the temple, they never got to sit down. They were always busy. Why? Because there was always sin to be atoned for. There was always sin that needed to be sorted out. Their job was to be there, to, to make the sacrifices and to do the stuff. Jesus isn't busy dashing around and making amends because he's done it. As we heard last week, he declared on the cross, it is finished. So he now sits in all authority. And as high priest, he is there for our benefit on our behalf, doing incredible things while he's seated. You know, when the priests went into the temple, they would carry 12 gemstones over their heart. The 12 gemstones representing the 12 tribes of Israel, in other words, all of God's people. And what it was saying is that they went into the temple, they were going in, doing it as a representative, because all the people couldn't go into God's presence, but they would go in on the people's behalf and they would carry them on their heart. They would always be thinking of them. They were there to do the things for the people. We are carried there on Jesus' heart. He is there, seated, 
and representing us. If you like, those gemstones are us on his heart. Everything the priest did, he did it for his pe- the, the, the people. Jesus is doing things for us as he's seated. My standing before God, your standing before God, is down to our great high priest. And nothing, nothing that we've done. You want to be on the right side of Jesus? You want to be on his heart? Well, make sure you're in him. Make sure you're following him. So he sat at the right hand of God. What is he doing? Well, he's our advocate. We hear that in 1 John 2, 1. We have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. He's our representative. He's speaking up on our behalf. And the important part of him being our advocate is he's praying for us. Romans 8, 34 says this, Jesus, Christ Jesus, who died, more than that, who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. Stop and think about that for a minute. Jesus Christ, God's only son, ruler of all things, is praying for you. praying for you. you know, how often when we're going through difficult things do we, we ask people to pray for us? And that's right and that's good to do. You know, we might send out a text, please pray, I've got this going on today. Or you might see someone at church say, I'm really struggling with this, will you pray for me? And that's right and proper. But isn't it incredible? Our great high priest, God's son, is interceding for us. You are on his mind right now. You might look at yourself and think, well, I'm worthless. Who am I? Jesus says, you're loved by me and I'm praying for you. I'm interceding. There is no barrier in my prayers to God the Father. James 5.16 says, the prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. You can't get any more righteous than Jesus. He is praying for you. Powerful and effective prayers. You are never alone. So he's our advocate. He's praying for us. He's also pouring out the Holy Spirit. He's pouring out his spirit. Acts 2, 32 and 33. God has raised this Jesus to life and we are all witnesses of it. Exalted to the right hand of God, he has received from the Father the promised Holy Spirit and has poured out what you now see and hear. You know, the passage from the beginning of Acts said, Jesus said to his disciples before he went up, before he ascended to heaven, he said, wait here for the gift of the Holy Spirit. You will receive power to be witnesses. I'm going to send the Holy Spirit. And Jesus still sends the Spirit. Bringing power, bringing protection, bringing a whole incredible range of gifts, some of which we've seen demonstrated this morning. Of counsel. There's more 
to come next week. Maybe Psalm 23. (laughs) The Holy Spirit, Jesus pours out the Holy Spirit on us. I'm not going to spend too much longer talking about the Holy Spirit because I said there's more next week as we get to the next bit in the creed. But Jesus is pouring out the Holy Spirit upon us. And also, he's seated, he's reigning. Jesus is reigning. As king of the church, as king of creation, he reigns. Even now, in the heavenly places, the angels and the elders are bowing down and worshipping the one who is in all glory and all authority. Ephesians 1, 18 to 23. I make no apology for all the scripture today. So important that we immerse ourselves in scripture. This is God's truth. It's living and active. Here's a bit more for you. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people and his incomparably great power for us who believe. That power is the same as the mighty strength he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead and seated him at the right hand in the heavenly realms, far above all rule and authority, power and dominion and every name that is invoked, not only in the present age but also in the one to come. And God placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be head over everything for the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. He's seated in the heavenly realms, far above all rule and authority, power and dominion, and every name that is invoked, not only in the present age, but also in the one to come. Jesus reigns supreme. He is seated at this present moment, reigning supreme and ruling. The advocate before the Father, the one praying on our behalf, the one who pours out his spirit and heavenly gifts, the one who is reigning. That's what he's doing. He's not having a nap. He's not munching on some treat. He is there as high priest and king. Incredible. This is why the ascension is so important. This is why we need to make sure we dwell on these aspects of Jesus' ministry as much as his death and resurrection. Jesus has ascended, past. He is seated, present. But the creed goes on to state what will happen as we move on to our second chunk today. He will come again. He will come to judge the living and the dead. If we pick up the last couple of verses of that passage from Acts 1, once Jesus has ascended, verses 10 and 11 that goes on, they were looking intently up into the sky. So the disciples were looking very confused. I'm sure it would have been a very confusing thing. Jesus was there, he was going up, the clouds come and then he's gone. They were looking intently up into the sky as he was going when suddenly... Two men dressed in white stood beside them, angels, and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand here looking into the sky? This same Jesus, who has been taken from you into heaven, will come back in the same way you have seen him go into heaven. 
Jesus is coming back. He's coming again. We have not been abandoned. He's not turned his back on us. That's it. I've done that bit. I'm going to move on to other things now. He's coming back. This Jesus who is seated before uh, at the right hand of the Father who is our advocate and praying and interceding and, and pouring out his Holy Spirit. He's coming back for you and me. He's coming again. How does that make you feel? How does it make you feel knowing he's coming again? It should fill us with joy and hope and delight and wonder. The King of Kings is coming. It's as true as all the other events that have happened and are happening. He will come again. And oh, what a day. What a day. Luke 21, 27 and 28. At that time they will see the Son of Man coming in a cloud with power and great glory. Jesus is reigning right now, but we don't see so much of it. There will be a day when every eye, every tongue will confess. Every eye will see the power, the glory that is there already. We will see it when these things begin to take place. Stand up and lift your heads because your redemption is drawing near. For those of us who are in Christ, that, should, that will be our response. There's going to be no cowering in fear because we are in Christ. We're united with him. We are forgiven. He has made a way. He has, he has made the sacrifice. He has paid the debt. We can lift our heads because our redemption is coming. We will know freedom in completeness. Titus 2, 13 and 14, a similar feel. We wait for the blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Saviour, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all wickedness and to purify for himself a people that are his very own, eager to do what is good. Jesus is going to appear in glory and we're going to be caught up in wonder and amazement at the Lamb who was slain, the one who is now seated, the one who reigns for all eternity. And we're going to be caught up with the angels and the elders and and those who are currently with him now in heavenly places rejoicing. We get to join in on that forever and eternity. And as we've heard recently when we were looking through the Thessalonians series, 1 Thessalonians 4.16 says, For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command, with the voice of the archangel, with the trumpet call of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Glorious day. Fanfares. Jesus coming back. He will come in majesty and glory and power. The risen, conquering, reigning king. Wow. Wow, this should fill us with joy. Blessed hope, as it said in the Titus verses. Our king and high priest coming to end all pain and hurt and tears and death. To usher in the new earth, to release the captives. Never a day will things be held in bondage. What a glorious day. And he's coming to judge. He's coming to judge. That's sobering. 
but it's also awe-inspiring. He's coming to judge. Explain. Let's look at that. Because it's there in the creed, it's there in scripture. What's it talking about? He's coming to judge. 2 Thessalonians 1, 6 to 10 lays it out very plainly. God is just. He will pay back trouble to those who trouble you and give relief to you who are troubled and to us as well. This will happen when the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven in blazing fire with his powerful angels. He will punish those who do not know God and do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus. They will be punished with everlasting destruction and shut out from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his might. On the day he comes to be glorified in his holy people and to be marvelled at among all those who have believed. This includes you because you have believed our testimony to you. The Bible leaves no doubt. Justice will come to all. Jesus will be the judge. It's not our job as Christians to be judges. It's not our job to judge because he will be the judge. And that's good news. That's good news. You know, on social media, everyone is the judge, isn't it? Everyone chips in. Oh, this should happen to that person. How could they possibly do this? And it's so easy for us to go with that. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Outrageous. This shouldn't be happening. That shouldn't be happening. We're not called to judge. That's Jesus' job because he's the only one truly qualified to do so. One day he will come and he will judge all people. So why is it so good news that Jesus is the judge rather than one of us? When you think about Jesus' life on earth, he was a persecuted Jew. He was someone against whom great injustice was carried out and betrayal happened. So from a human point of view, he knows, he understands. He's been at the receiving end of injustice. He sympathises with all those who've been abused, oppressed, taken advantage of. But he's also the judge who took himself out of the judgment seat, put himself in the dock and gave himself the harshest judgment there'll ever be so that we wouldn't have to know it. He did that for you and me. The judge became the one who has been judged. He became sin for us. He has the total right to judge. He knows. And we can trust he is a merciful judge as well as a just judge. You know, Matthew 25 picks up on this idea of Jesus judging. Something he, said, he taught about the sheep and the goats. Many of you will be familiar with the story. Matthew 25, 31 to 46. We're not going to read it right now. You can do that at home. But essentially, he says, there'll come a day when I, I sort people into two groups. Sheep to the right, goats to the left. And it'll be dependent, he says, because the sheep were those who, who fed the hungry and clothed the, the naked and went to visit the sick. 
And he's not saying because they've done those things that they get in, that they will be invited into, he says, come into your inheritance. He's, they're doing this as an outworking of their trust in him. And those who don't trust him, they didn't do that. And he says, go, depart from me. For those of us in Christ, we can be certain. We don't need to worry because Jesus is merciful and he says, come. I look at the sacrifice I've made and I say, you're covered. Your sins are forgiven. (coughs) But he's also just. And that is actually reassuring because there's such horrors happening even in today. We saw it with the New Zealand shooting most recently, I guess. It's just so obviously in our mind. But there's so many atrocities to individuals, to whole groups of people. And there will be a day when people are held accountable. That's good news. People won't be let off. They'll be held accountable. For those in Christ. We are held and covered and held and made clean. But for those not yet in Christ, surely that's motivation for us to get that story out there, get people knowing this truth. We know something amazing. We know there's a a great day coming that'll be great for those who are in Christ. Come, won't you see? Don't you want to be included? Don't you want to hear Jesus himself say, come into the inheritance I have for you? This is the good news. This is why we say we are the hope of the world. We've been equipped with this incredible truth. We need to get it out there. We need to tell people. Jesus is incredible, merciful and just judge. Jesus has the final say. No one else. For followers of Jesus, this should bring joy and hope and comfort. You might remember a few weeks ago, I mentioned the Heidelberg Catechism, which looks at the Apostles' Creed and asks questions of it. Well, question 52 says this. What comfort is it to you that Christ will come to judge the living and the dead? This is the comfort we have. In all my sorrow and persecution, I lift up my head and eagerly await as judge from heaven the very same person who before has submitted himself to the judgment of God for my sake and has removed all the curse from me. He will cast all his and my enemies into everlasting condemnation, but he will take me and all his chosen ones to himself into heavenly joy and glory. For those of us in Christ, those who follow Jesus, Jesus is coming to judge the living and the dead should bring us hope and joy. A day will come when all injustice will be dealt with and we will be invited to come and receive the inheritance. You know, the thing about that, that bit in Matthew 25, when Jesus says, come into, the, into your inheritance, inheritance only comes when someone's died. It's not something we can earn ourselves. So even though the passage looks like it's going on to talk about different things they've done, they've done it in response of someone dying, Jesus. He's died and we get the inheritance because he's died. (coughs) For those who aren't Christian, and maybe that's you this morning, you would say, but that's not me. Where does that leave me? Well, it leaves you with an invitation. Won't you come 
and know this king, this high priest who has made the way. He doesn't want anyone to be excluded. He doesn't want anyone to be left out. And he knows we can't get there on our own. So he's made a way. And you can respond. And today you can come to him and say, I want to know you. I want to I live the rest of my life knowing you as my Lord and my Saviour, my King, my High Priest. And you can know the freedom and joy and hope and peace of what it is from being found in him. He has paid the price. Why try and do anything yourself to earn a way to heaven when you can just ask him? So, as we conclude, I wonder if the band can come up. We're going to sing a song together to worship this incredible Jesus who will come again. The one who has ascended into heaven, who is seated at the right hand of the Father and will come to judge the living and the dead. He ascended back to heaven with the Father. He has gone where only those who have pure heart and clean hands can go. He has entered the very presence. He is seated as our advocate, praying, pouring out the Holy Spirit, heavenly gifts upon us, and reigning and ruling. And he will come again, gloriously, triumphantly, to judge and bring justice. Let's stand and worship our King, our High Priest.